love to worship. <laughs> and I just love entering into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and worship. Happy Mother's Day! All you mothers out there, come on, wave your hand. I was going to do a little rap for you, but I didn't want to. I am so excited to be up here on Mother's Day. Because I want you to see, when they look in the Webster's Dictionary under the definition of mama's boy, that's me. Hey! I am not ashamed to be a mama's boy. Come on, y'all. <laughs> I loved my mom. My mom's been passed away now for 20-something years. But as many of you know, uh, I'm the youngest of five of a single parent. So I really got to firsthand see the virtuous woman, virtuous mother firsthand. And so I just have the highest respect and honor for moms. And not only that, as you know, I have four children, and I had the distinct pleasure of being there with all four of my children being born. And not only that, I get to pull those big heads out. Come on, women, those mothers, when I say big heads, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I get to be there and experience my wife's uh, sheer like agony but at the same time it's an agony with a purpose and that purpose is to bring forth life and so mothers uh, I, I just say God bless you is uh, there's there's a attribute of God that talks about he's the nourishing one um, uh, the, the full-breasted one and so God when he created women he created a powerful aspect of nurturing from himself, and that is the nurturing one. So uh, I honor you. As many of you know, we, we've been a series on regenerating. And this regenerating is such a powerful word because, first of all, it's a participle. And for those of us or you who know English, you know, participle often has the ing in it, and it just it knows that something is continuously happening. And that's the joy that we have as believers, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that God is continuously working in us. Aren't we happy about that? And God is all the time conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. And that's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we're not... Uh, 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 a, a body of water think of a body of water that has grown stagnant that's never moving and, and that's full of amoeba and all that kind of stuff and, and it's dying no 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 we're a, a stream you know of, of full of life that, that God is continually doing new things in us I don't care if you know we're 90, 100 years old when you are in Christ God is all the time regenerating making wonderful things happen and so today you know, we're going to talk about relationships, how God is continuously moving in us in our relationships. How many of us know that relationships are super important? 
Super, super important. Matter of fact, you know, sociologists talk about, you know, the basis of being human all comes about through relationships. You know, it's, it's, we get our personalities a lot of times and our identities, not only from uh, genetics, but also from our environments, from our relationships. And so today we're going to talk about generating relationships. Just how God is in the midst of how we get along and even our conflicts. Like how many of you know that conflicts, though at the time it seems painful and it's hard, but conflicts actually are good. You know, the Bible says in Romans 8.28 that God works all things for good, right? So even that horrific time that you've had with your wife, you can like say, you know what, this is a good thing. You're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> they got it first service. <laughs> because, you know, the ultimate end isn't for destruction. The ultimate end isn't for that horrific D word, divorce. But the ultimate end is for growth. And so God allows in our relationships, in that regenerating aspect of his Holy Spirit, that we might grow in him. And and. You know, that is such an honor and a privilege that God would allow us to constantly be growing in our relationships that we have with one another. Matter of fact, it's almost impossible for us to really grow without each other, right? We need each other. That's, you know, that's why community is so important. You know, I used to say when I first got married, I never knew what, you know, I thought I was a, a, a pretty good Christian. Before I got married. You know, I did. You know, I used to have arguments with my friends and debates with me because I love to debate. You all know I used to be a lawyer. I love to debate and argue with my friends. And, you know, they would go to their apartment and I would go to mine. And maybe after a week, <laughs> we come back together, right? Well, it's something about when you are married and the Bible says, don't let the sun go down in your anger, you know, don't, you know, that. You mean I got to go to bed with her and she just stabbed me in the heart? <laughs> I mean, how many of you know what I'm talking? It's okay to raise your hand too. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the whole power of relationship of that very person that injured you is the very person that's helping your growth. Because, you know, God gave my wife to me as a gift. Therefore, whatever my wife does by accident or even on purpose, God is using that gift in order to conform me to his image. I mean, that's powerful. When you look at it in the regeneration and the regenerating that God is doing through his sovereignty, through our relationships. And so those instances where we're fighting each other in the church, hopefully we don't make that a norm, but I want us to know that that is actually producing something good. And we trust that by faith because God is faithful in his promises that God works all things for good. So I want to get to the scripture and I want to share with us from Colossians that we've been working through all week how Paul is really admonishing the church about relationships and their relationships with God, their relationships with each other, and also the relationships with the world. And if you with me, um, turn with me to Colossians 3, 
verses 12 to 15, and it's 956 in your Bible if you choose to use the Pew Bible. That's Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15. And it reads, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Is, is, there, is there more? Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. And be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the authority of your word. Thank you, God, that you say in Isaiah, God, that, Lord, that your word will accomplish everything that you set it out to do. And, Lord, that it will not return void. Lord, that means, God, that you will do what you have providentially planned by the preaching of your word, by the sharing of your word. God, that it will accomplish a work in your people. So, God, we pray, God, that our ears would be open, our eyes would be open. God, open our hearts. Lord, open our minds that we might receive all that you have for us. Oh, God, we want to be that regenerating people. God, we want to always be moving in you, God. So, Lord, use this time, Father. Use it, God, for your glory. Use it for our edification, Lord, that we might grow closer to you, closer to each other. And, Lord, that we, oh, God, would know how to relate to this world. Thank you, Lord. Have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First, I want to give a background on this text of uh, this letter of Colossians. Uh, first of all, this letter is addressed, as we know, to the congregation in um, Colossae. Uh, and it was written by Paul, and he was in jail. Uh, it always amazes me that Paul writes these amazing letters while he's chained and while he has restriction of movement and how he talks about joy and all of that in the midst of that. But um, also, Paul is writing this letter to the church, to the Colossians, and he's like really straightening them out on issues that they're going through in the church. So I don't want us to feel bad whenever we go through something in the church because Nothing is new under the sun, right? So they've been going through these issues for a long time. And some of the issues that the church in um, Colossae was going through was this whole thing of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is when the knowledge was elevated over faith. Gnosticism also uh, elevated this whole thing of um, being an ascetic, meaning, you know, being super spiritual. You were so spiritual that you had no need for your body. And so they also denied the humanity of Jesus, I mean, which is huge. And they also had cliques, and so they would have this elitist group that was so into the intellect, so into the spiritual, astral type of things that they um, separated themselves based on their knowledge and based on their beliefs. And so Paul was like writing, you know, 
and, and not too much different from today. You know, sometimes today in the modern church, and I'm going to use the capital C, not the little C. I'm not particularly talking about our church because our church is perfect, right? So when I'm talking about church, I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about the big C Catholic church. But I'm not talking about the Catholic church. I'm talking about the universal church. <laughs> so, 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 so Paul is, is, is addressing issues that, that we even have today. Issues of, of hyper-spirituality. Issues of everyone t- is talking about everything except for the personhood of Jesus. So everyone is talking about theology and all these kind of things and, and kind of sometimes putting themselves in different categories and, you know, we're the frozen chosen and, and we're the, the people that do cartwheels and we're the people that only do evangelism. And so all these different things have been elevated over what? Jesus. See, Paul is writing and saying, my goodness, you're, 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 you're elevating all these distinctive personality traits that you are and, and, and your identity, and your identity is in everything except for Jesus. You know, I spent a lot of my adult life down south. And down south, the first thing they asked me we're talking about identity here. The first thing they ask me is, what church do you go to? This is what they ask in the Bible about in the South. You know, because that tells them a lot about who you are and, you know, your identity is being formed by that community. Now, up here, when I first came to Cincinnati, the big thing they asked Dennis was, what school did you graduate from? And Dennis, you know, I'm like, University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. You know, I'm proud fighting the line. And they're like, uh, no, we meant high school. <laughs> you know, that's the big thing here. And then, you know, the other thing here is, uh, are you a West Sider or an East Sider? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm new. I live in College Hill. And they'll say, ah, oh, you're in no man's land. <laughs> But this is all about identity. And, and so, you know, back in this day, everybody was associating themselves with where they came from, you know, what religion they were, even what race they were. See, because even in this church, there was conflict between the Jewish believers and also the Gentile believers. The Jewish believers were saying, oh, you need to be circumcised. You know, you need to adhere to the law. And all these things, they were adding on to the gospel. And they said, you had to be that in order to be a Christian. And the Gentile folks, they were still keeping in syncretism with some of their pagan ways, some of their immoral ways, and some of their... Uh, Flying around in spaceways. You know, they were, they were, they were big into this, the spiritual realm. And, and so all this was clashing because everybody's identity was in something else and they were in the church. Does that sound familiar at all? That in this day and time, we have black churches, we have white churches, we have Pentecostal churches, we have Baptist churches. It seems, and Paul is addressing this, that we're forming our identity 
on the superficial things and not on the real thing, which is Jesus. And he says in verse 11, going right into our text of 12, he says this amazing passage. He says that there are no longer Jews. We're no longer to find our identity in being a Greek. We're no longer to find our identity in being Presbyterian. We're no longer, I know that would get a head up. We're no longer to find our ultimate identity in being male, our ultimate identity in being a mother, our ultimate identity being a female. He gives this list in verse 11. He said, this was your old clothing. These were your old garments. This was the way your community identified you. This was the way you identified yourself. Uh, You identified yourself as Latino, as black, as white, as Presbyterian. And and Paul is like, your identity, you know, because those things are causing division. They're causing fighting. They're causing fraction. And he says, you've actually have thrown, you said, throw away those things because you're not that anymore. My identity is no longer in my color. Say amen, somebody. If you mean it. My identity is in whom? Jesus. Now I know you're looking at me and saying, not in your heads, but do we believe it and do we live it? See, because obviously they were all in church. They were all mixed together, so they called themselves a multicultural church. But obviously they weren't living it. Because Paul, he says, that was your old clothes. And you're trying to bring your old clothes into a new identity. Oh, church, isn't that what we do? We bring all the old stuff that we used to be, and we make it the principle in the new place. And we even put that before Jesus. It's a tribalism. It's the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda that took it to such an extent, though they were both said they were Christians, nearly a million were killed because they chose their identity over the new identity that they had in Jesus. Craziness. When you look at it that way. But when you look at our day and time, don't we do the same thing when we worship the past and we don't live in the regenerating of his present? Oh, say amen, somebody. When we live in the old way of doing things or in the old way of which we identified ourselves, And we walk that out in the present reality of where God has us. 
And so Paul is addressing that to the Colossians. And he's saying, now you are in a new identity. You no longer have to wear those old clothes. See, before you were tied to that. You know, before church, I was tied to being a black man. Before that, I was tied to being a haw. And it's a great thing to be a haw. That's my last name. And before that, I was tied to being an attorney, or I was tied to being uh, born in the ghetto, or I was tied... You know, there's, there's so many things that could have shaped my identity. But when I was baptized in Christ... That whole thing of being a lawyer or that whole thing of being a black man or that whole thing of being a 225 pound man, I'm actually more than that. That is not my identity. And how many of us know that identity is linked to relationships? Because what we think of ourselves is what, how we relate to others. It's the truth. How we view ourselves is how we are in communion with others. So if I'm a black man and that is superseding my Christianity, that means I can never be a part of this church. Or if I'm a white man and I'm using that as my identity even before Christ, that means I can never have a black pastor. And Paul is saying, you no longer are to dress that way. You are no longer to act that way. See, it's not, it's not that, 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 that they had to strive to be the other identity. This is who you are. But he's talking about the way we behave. How many of you know it's possible to have a certain identity that's yours, but you act outside your identity? I love to talk to single women, especially single girls from the inner city, because a lot of them are without daddies. And so there's a big plague in our society with teenage mothers. And the root issue is, is that these teenage young black girls are looking for love through sex. And so what they're doing is that they're thinking that these nappy head boys are going to give them more than what they're going to give them. And so they're having intimacy with them constantly. And they're having these babies out of wedlock that they can't take care of. And then we have a government, not being political, but being true. We have a government that's feeding that because you've got to do something with children. We just can't let innocent children go by the wayside. So we got to, and so we're in a mess because that young girl's identity is in heaven a man. She wants love. She wants to be accepted. She wants to be cared for. She wants security. And she's mistaking that for sex. Because that's what the man thinks relationships 
are all about. And then we ask, where's the church? Well, the church is too busy taking sides and saying, well, the government's too big and the government shouldn't be in the hands of the people and so we should have cut it off. And the, and, the, and the people of the church are so into social things that they're forgetting that a person needs to be regenerated by the gospel. We've made the world our enemy instead of a relationship with the world of love in order for them to be regenerated. You see, God is regenerating us, not for us to look beautiful. So he's not giving us our new garments just for us to look good and not for us to look good for each other. See, we're big in the house of God to impress. It's a, you know, it's a natural human tendency, you know, to get the accolades and to get, you know, people say we sung wonderful or we preached great and we did all these things. And so we become this societal group that's complementing each other and we're relating to each other on a superficial basis, but then the rest of the world, and we're looking good because we're really not showing our real self. We're just showing the facade of what religion shows. And so we're having great church within the four walls. Yet we know our confessions, we know the four spiritual laws, we know the Roman road, yet the world is dying. Oh my Jesus. We're having a good time impressing ourselves with these garments. Where God gave us the garments not for us to have a fashion show within ourselves and to compliment ourselves and say how wonderful we look. But the garments that he gave us to put on is first to glorify him. It's first for us to be in authentic relationship one with another and then for us to be a witness to the world. So in this text he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is powerful here. And I know some of us may not like it because these, this, this text starts out with everything about you when you become a Christian isn't about you. Oh my God. Everything about you who are a Christian is not about you. First of all, you were chosen. My God. That means elected. That means picked up. That means you were in a garbage heap. You were in a dump. You were in a pile of stuff and God picked you. Oh my God. Oh, I know we thought we made the decision. I know we thought it was our godly parents. I know we thought it was the catechism. I know we thought it was the confessions. No, it was God who chose you before the beginning of time and he picked you up out of yourself. So first of all, Paul is saying to the Colossian church, you're finding your identity in stuff that's man-made. Come into the divine. I chose you. That gives you an identity, makes you special. Not to show off, but it makes you special unto him. And next he says, not only are you chosen, but you're holy. This is a good one. 
See, because I've been in all kinds of churches and denominations. I, I've seen the church where you have to have a, a, a skirt below your knees. You can't wear makeup. You can't wear this and that in your hair. And they are trying to, to attain holiness. I've been to other churches where holiness is all about what you don't do. So I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't fornicate, I don't do all those things. Therefore, my holiness is based on my purity, what I don't do. Well, church, I want to tell you something. I'm going to be self-exposure here. I'm going, to, I'm going to be a little bit like Paul. You know, I'm one of those ones that was raised in the church. I never fell away from the church. I was teaching Sunday school when I was in high school. I was speaking in tongues when I was in college. I didn't have sex before I was married. I did everything right. But let me tell you this, church. That did not make me holy. That did not make me a Christian. My Christianity came because God, before the creation of the world, picked Dennis. And because God did it, I became holy. My God, come on, come on, come on. Your holiness is not depicted or dependent upon how you act. Oh, come on, church. Oh, because if it was holy ones of Israel, if it was, none of us would be here. Because we all think we're good, but we ain't. So, our holiness which means set apart, had nothing to do with how you acted or who you were. Because the Bible says that while we were dead, he quickened us. The Bible says that while we were yet enemies with God, he came to us. Jesus said that you didn't choose me, but I chose. Our holiness is just because God is the one that set us apart. Isn't that, that's good news. Matter of fact, Mike gave this beautiful illustration uh, of Chesterton who talked about a penny. And, and last week, Mike gave this illustration that the power of the penny or, or the worth of the penny doesn't come from how shiny it is. It doesn't come or be diminished because it's dirty. The penny isn't diminished because it's chipped. The penny has its worth all because of the inscription. The penny, its worth is not determined because it's a homeless guy. Hey. The penny isn't determined because someone is in a different state of being or, or, or they're a different color. Or the penny is its worth because the inscription. We likewise have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We likewise have been bought with a price. We likewise, the Bible says, we've been given a wedding ring. You are engaged to God. You are betrothed to the Almighty. It wasn't based on you being so beautiful. I know we all look good. I know we spend time in the gym. I know we do 50 million diets. And I know we try to impress each other. But let me tell you, there has to be no impression with God. <laughs> he chose you to be holy, to be unto him. 
And this holiness concept, there's a holiness too. So we were chosen to be holy to him. It's that whole thing of he draws us to himself, therefore we're holy. But he also calls us holy to be holy from. So just think about it. Just the fact that God chooses you, you're holy, and this holiness has a purpose, is a holiness to God, but there's a holiness from, and the holiness from is the world, is, is, is the slavery to sin. Just think about it. We no longer have to sin. We no longer are held captive to sin. Our holiness, which was given to us by God, automatically allows us to have the freedom not to sin. So we're holy to God, but holy from the world. And then we're beloved. We're loved. I think this is one of the greatest mysteries of the Christian faith. And one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian faith. I gave this example this morning. Me and my wife we were called into ministry to pastor uh, a, a Southern Baptist church in North Carolina. It was predominantly white. I mean, if you know the story. And the things that we encountered by Christians, those who knew the Bible, those who confessed Jesus, those who, uh, you know, were washed in the blood, they were the meanest people on the planet. The way they treated my wife, myself, based on color. And finally, my wife and I came to the conclusion, the reason that they were so mean, because they had not experienced the love of God. Let me tell you, church, when you have really found your identity in the love of God, there's something in you that wants to give that love back to God, to his people, and also the world. See, there's something about when you first come in contact with that famous ice cream that's here. Graders, right? See, when I first came in contact with that ice cream, I wanted to tell somebody about it. <laughs> when I started experiencing those big old chunks, oh, come on, say amen, somebody. When I started experiencing the richness of the flavors and the chunks of chocolate, do you know I had to call my siblings, my, my sister? <laughs> I did. <laughs> There's something about when I first fell in love with my wife. Do you know how many of my friends I called? to let them know what I had experienced and how it had transformed my life because I said I would never be the one that would be able to fall in love with anybody because I was so, like, 
crazy. There's something about when we as believers, when we truly believe that we've been chosen, we've been chosen to him and from the world, not of ourselves, when we truly believe that we've been made holy, not because of anything we've done, not because we go to College Hill Presbyterian Church, not because we sit in the pews, not because we've been members for 50 years, when we know we've been made holy just because he chose us, and then... To top it off, when we truly know that we've been loved, and this is a regenerating kind of love, he continually loves me. So that means when a group of people turn their back on me because they couldn't accept me, when I went back to the love of Jesus and I said, God, I know you called me, I know you love me, I could love. Sometimes we walk around mean-spirited. Sometimes we walk around with, with things on our shoulders because we have not experienced the love of God. It's because we choose not to put on the garment. The garment has already been made available. It's already there, but we choose not to walk in it. And that's why relationships can be so funky. Because we're not living into what God has already done. We haven't put on the garment of election. We get it in our head. We're good Presbyterians. We can, we can argue about it and, 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 and base other theology on it. But can we believe that we have been chosen out of the miry clay by a holy God? See, it gives you a sense of humility. It gives you a sense that I didn't do it on my own, but it's a gift from God. Therefore, I can't treat someone that's different than me. I can't treat that person in the world as if they're worse than me because that's actually me. And the only difference is that I was picked. There's no room for a judgmental heart when you know you've been chosen. My God. There's no room to talk harshly about the homosexual when you know that you're holy. Not because you don't go with same sex. It's because that God did it. When you know that you have been in the, in the muck, in the mire, you know that you were born in sin, you know that your thoughts don't always be the way they should be, it gives you the regenerating power of relationship. First, relationship with God, relationship with each other, and relationship with the world. Unfortunately, the church in this day and time has, is now seen as an enemy as opposed to a lover. <laughs> oh, I know no one's saying amen, but it's true. Now, yeah, we know that we're conservative. We know that we stand for this. But the world doesn't know that we love. And we weren't placed here to associate with 
our old identities or those things that we feel comfortable to, we were placed here to have the identity of Jesus. I know some of us want to stay in the old garments. But God is saying this morning, would you please put on the garment of compassion, the garment of kindness, the garment of humility, the garment of meekness, the garment of patience, because it's already been done for you. It's already been won for you. But this journey isn't all about you. This journey is about a great and holy God that called you to himself. This journey is about a great and holy God that's called you to be in right relationship with the family, the body of Christ, to be authentic so we're able to share our struggles without being judged. We're able to come to church without a hat. And lastly, for the world. It's not, this identity just isn't to give us a hallelujah and kumbaya when we come together. But it's meant to be authentic that we might reach the world. The scripture says, forgive each other. As I close... That is hard. It's hard. Because what's hard is that we often like our old garment of identity, of holding on to our rights. And usually, the offense comes when your rights have been stepped upon. When something is said about you that's not true or something is done to you that's not fair. And what happens is that old garment of self wells up and you're like, you can't do that to me. But the new garment of forgiveness says, I release your debt. I release all the injury that you did to me, not that you get off the hook, but I don't want to do to you what you did to me. I want you to be made whole because of me. <laughs> See, that's what forgiveness will do. It's not that you have to the appearance of a doormat is just releasing the debt in order that the other one that injured you, because we're not denying the injury, but is that they might be made whole because of you, the very one that they injured. Now, isn't that like Jesus? My God. <laughs> isn't that like Jesus? The very one that we injured is the very one that makes us whole. And we say we want to be little Jesuses. Don't we, though? Oh, I used to pray it all the time. 
Oh, God, make me like you. Oh, Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. Oh, my God. To be on the cross, to be talked about, to be wrongly maligned, and then had to say, I forgive you, and not only forgive you, but walk in the new garment that I'm going to make you whole? Oh, my God. We want to be like Jesus, really? Yes. You know why? Because I've been chosen. I've been made holy. And I am loved. And because I am loved, I know I can trust. And I know that all things work for good for those that love him. And I know that all that is done and all that is hindering and all that is obstacles will be all for his glory. We all know the story of the prodigal. And so many of us live like him. You know, we've come back to the Father, and the Father has met us. And, you know, the Father has put on this beautiful robe and put, given us the ring and cooked this wonderful dinner and, you know, welcomed us back. I want you to just think, what if from the week after he returned, he went and found his old piggy clothes and put those back on? What would that look like in the father's house wearing and smelling with the piggy clothes? <laughs> something, something don't belong. Why would you put on smelly, stinky clothes when your father has given you everything? He's given you the ability to forgive. He's given the ability to have compassion on those that you wouldn't think you should. He's given you the ability to be meek in, in the midst of being talked about. Why would we go back to wanting our rights and smelling in our own identity? College Hill, this is our challenge. That God is doing a new thing in this church. He is regenerating hearts and minds and agendas. And God is forming for himself this chosen, holy, and beloved people so that we might give him all the praise, so that we might become that authentic community that the world is so starving for, and that we might be that minister to the world. That's what he's doing. If you want to know the vision of this church, that's it. He is regenerating us for relationships. He is. He's, he's regenerating us to be authentic that we can talk about our struggles without being judged. That we can allow folks to come into our lives and tell us when we're de doing inappropriate things. And then when we can go out into our community and share about the loving grace of a Savior. Are you willing to put on the new garments? Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that... Oh, God, that you're doing it, Lord. Lord, you're regenerating us. You're conforming us. Lord, it's that great mystery, God, that, Lord, we've already been regenerated when we got saved, but it's an ongoing regenerating, God, of of receiving new revelation, doing new things, and, and wearing the garments. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us alone. <laughs> thank you, God, that you are still pruning and working and ministering to your people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have each other. We pray, God, that you would be glorified through today, through this message, and through this church. May we truly, God, be a regenerating witness for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.